0: A quote that I find myself going back to time and time again is from a book written by J. Oswald Sanders titled Spiritual Leadership. It says this, The supernatural nature of the church demands a leadership that rises above the human. And yet has there ever been a greater dearth of God-anointed and God-mastered men to meet that crucial need? The overriding need of the church, if it is to discharge its obligation to the rising generation, is for a leadership that is authoritative, spiritual, and sacrificial. Spiritual leaders are not made by election or by appointment, by men or any combination of men, nor by conferences or synods. Only God can make them. Simply holding a position of of importance. Does not constitute one a leader, nor do taking courses in leadership or even resolving to become a leader end quote. I begin the message with that quote because our text this morning is about spiritual leadership. Therefore, this message is going to be different or unique, in that it's not primarily for the majority of you present here this morning. It is for me and the other spiritual leaders here in our midst. Now that doesn't mean that you can get up and leave, so hold on just a moment. Because even though this may not be specifically for the majority of you, God considers it important that his people understand this aspect of his truth. So if you are not already there, turn with me please to First Peter chapter 5 and follow along as I read verses 1 through 4. The Apostle Peter, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. As we move into chapter 5 of this letter, the Apostle Peter continues to give practical and helpful instruction and exhortation in the pages of his letter. If you have been with us for some of this series, then you know that much of the letter has been about suffering. And it's amazing to consider the fact that Peter wrote these words in this letter about suffering, knowing that one day he would eventually die a martyr's death. How did he know that? Well, because Jesus had told him this in John chapter 21. I want us to briefly look at that passage by way of introduction. So go back with me to the fourth gospel record the gospel of john matthew mark luke and john john chapter 21 after the resurrection jesus met with peter to restore him in light of the horrible fall the horrible trespass the the horrible actions that peter exhibited a a few nights earlier when he repeatedly denied the lord We pick up the story in verse 15 of John 21. This is after the resurrection, somewhere on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus meets with Peter, and it says in verse 15, When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. Jesus said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Peter had denied the Lord three times, and here Jesus asks Peter to reaffirm his love three times. After each affirmation, the Lord commissioned Peter to feed and shepherd the people of God. Coming right off of that exhortation, Jesus told Peter that one day, one day he would die a martyr's death. Verse 18, Jesus said, To Peter, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And this Jesus spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. In other words, this was a prophecy by Jesus that one day Peter would die by crucifixion. You know, we often put down Peter and make fun of him and make jokes uh, about him. But I wonder if we realize the internal fortitude Jesus had built into this man's life. I mean, think about it. If Jesus told me that one day I would be crucified for him, I would probably worry about it every day until it happened. I'd probably die of apoplexy before it happened. Every day I would get up and wonder, is this going to be the day... Every time I saw someone carrying a wooden pole, I would think, this is it, here we go. But Jesus knew Peter was strong enough to handle such a startling revelation. In fact, I personally believe this was a thrill to Peter's heart to hear this. Let me explain. Look at this from Peter's perspective. See it from his point of view. When he had the opportunity to stand up for the Lord and display his love when Jesus was on trial... Peter blew it repeatedly. But now Jesus says to him that one day he will die as a martyr. So to Peter, that means that the next time he's confronted with a similar situation, he won't blow it. He won't fail. That must have made Peter want to dance a jig coming off of those terrible failures. Now back to our text in 1 Peter chapter 5. So Peter knew the task that was his as a shepherd or an elder. Jesus gave it to him right there in that passage in John 21. He knew his responsibility. He knew the task. And he passed along the same responsibility to his fellow elders here in chapter 5. Notice how the chapter opens. He says, the elders who are among you I exhort... I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. The first thing that stands out to me about this verse is Peter's humility. Peter was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was a very unique group to which someone could belong. Only a handful of men Belonged to that group or could ever belong to that group. Yet, Peter doesn't refer to himself as an apostle. He simply refers to himself as a fellow elder. That lets you know that Peter wasn't on any power trip. He didn't feel the need to mention his rare and special privilege to be an apostle. He simply referred to himself as a fellow elder. With all the other elders or shepherds in the midst of this group of people to whom he was writing he does allude to his apostleship when he states the fact that he was an eyewitness of the sufferings of christ but he doesn't specifically mention his apostleship here in this verse he doesn't feel the need to he also says at the end of the verse that he was a witness of the glory that will be revealed which is probably a reference to the experience peter had in witnessing the transfiguration of jesus That undoubtedly was a life-changing experience for Peter. He mentions it again in his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 1. And he mentions it here as motivation for his fellow elders. Jesus is coming back someday in glory. I saw it. I saw the preview, Peter says. Don't lose your focus. Don't lose your motivation. This life is brief. One day he will return. This is a good point to pause to mention that there are three terms that the Bible uses to describe spiritual leaders. They are the terms elder, overseer or bishop, same word depending on your English translation, and pastor. This has caused a lot of confusion for people. So let me give you the nuances of meaning for each of these three terms. Elder refers to the spiritual maturity of the person. It's someone who is older in the Lord. It's not primarily a reference to age. It's a reference to spiritual depth, maturity, etc. Bishop or overseer, depending on your English translation, refers to the office. Someone is a bishop or an overseer. They hold that office. Pastor or shepherd refers to the ministry or function. They are really interchangeable terms, so don't let the terms confuse you. Elder refers to the spiritual maturity of the person... Bishop or overseer refers to the office. Pastor or shepherd refers to the ministry or function of shepherding people. Interestingly, Peter uses a form of all three of those words right here in this passage. In verse 1, he uses the title elders. And in verse 2, he exhorts the elders to shepherd, which is the verb form of the noun pastor. And in verse 2, he mentions the responsibility of elders to be overseers. All three terms. So elders are pastors or shepherds who oversee the people of God. And Peter gives the exhortation in the next verse, verse 2. Here it is after his introduction in verse 1. He says, "...shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Peter exhorts the elders to shepherd the flock of God. He tells them how they should and should not carry out that responsibility, but he doesn't tell them what all is involved in the process or in the responsibility, because it's obvious that they already knew what they ought to do or, and, and, and what the responsibilities were. But we need to make sure that we know what they are, because they are assumed in this passage. So to make sure that we know what they are, back up with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 for just a a little while. Back up to 1 Thessalonians, after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. There are many passages that we could look at to see what is involved in shepherding. But this passage summarizes it well in one verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 says this, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. According to this verse, elders, shepherds, Spiritual leaders have a threefold responsibility. We are to labor among you, we are to watch out for and lead you, and we are to admonish you. Those are the three specifics that Paul mentions, and they're very closely related, and they are actually tied together. But let's separate them just so that we get a good handle on them. The first responsibility Paul mentions for spiritual leaders is the responsibility to labor among the sheep. The word labor is a common word with Paul, and it means to work to the point of sweat or exhaustion. It is a word that describes intensity, diligence, fervor, and passion. That is what God expects of spiritual leaders. The issue isn't holding an office. The issue isn't holding a position. Spiritual leaders are to labor among the sheep. What is involved in that? Laboring among the sheep sheep means getting to know them personally and intimately so you can know how to work with them better. That is essential. A shepherd has to know sheep if he's going to be effective in leading sheep and working with sheep. You could say it this way. There are two primary things a shepherd needs to know to be effective. Two things. He must know the Word of God thoroughly and deeply, and he must know sheep thoroughly and intimately. Laboring among the sheep involves loving them and serving them when there are needs you can meet. It involves encouraging them in their walk with the Lord. It involves challenging them to greater heights in the Christian life. It involves discipling them and training them on a personal basis. It involves holding them accountable to biblical standards and a biblical lifestyle. It involves rebuking them when you see wrong behavior, wrong attitudes, or wrong doctrine. Or wrong theology. It involves spending time with them to set a pattern and an example in life. It involves counseling them concerning issues and decisions in life. It involves praying with them. It involves praying for them. It involves nurturing them. It involves rejoicing with them when they rejoice and weeping with them when they weep. It involves supporting them. It involves feeding them, which is teaching them God's truth. Shepherding, then, is all about relationships. The primary task of shepherding isn't running an organization. Please understand that. The primary task of shepherding is not administrating programs. The primary task of shepherding is working with people. That is why the primary task of our board members isn't making decisions during board meetings. That's not not the primary, or at least it should not be the primary task of board members on church boards. The primary task of elders and deacons is shepherding people. And all of those things I mentioned a moment ago are wrapped up in the idea of Paul's first phrase here in verse 12, laboring among the sheep. So you can see why in 2 Corinthians 2.16 Paul said, And who is sufficient for these things? Who is adequate for these things? I'm certainly not. No one is. But a man who longs to be a true shepherd or true spiritual leader gives himself wholeheartedly to the task. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul said, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. In Colossians 1, 28 and 29, he said, We preach Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. There was no laziness in the Apostle Paul, no irresponsibility in his shepherding. In 1 Corinthians nine twenty-seven, he said, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. In Acts 20, 31, Paul said his labor among the sheep involved working night and day. Now, you can can be a lazy shepherd. You can be a lazy spiritual leader, but you'll never maximize your ministry. Being a true shepherd involves diligence and effort to be effective. Being effective as a shepherd involves not only God's gifting and God's sovereign choice to bless, it also involves diligence and effort. But let me say this, regardless of how hard you work at it, one man cannot do it all in the church. That is why whenever you see the term elder in the New Testament, it is almost always plural. Not elder singular, elders plural. God's design is to have a plurality of godly shepherds, both lay shepherds and staff shepherds. Even here in verse 12, notice that Paul uses the plural when he says, uh, recognize those who labor among you. Not the one who labors among you, those. The plurality of spiritual leaders. Even in a church like Thessalonica, which was evidently a small church, there were several men who were involved in shepherding. Several who were involved in spiritual leadership. No one man can do all the things I mentioned earlier, even if it's just with a few people. And it certainly can't be done with a large number of people. And God doesn't expect for it to be done in that way. He expects the laboring load to be shared among a plurality of shepherds as well as among the saints. God not only expects the shepherds to do the things I mentioned earlier, He also expects the saints themselves, believers themselves, to share the load. To also encourage one another, admonish one another, rebuke one another. It is impossible for one man or even a few men to carry all the shepherding load. But the spiritual leaders are supposed to set the pattern. They are supposed to set the example. So the first responsibility Paul mentions here in verse 12 for the shepherds or spiritual leaders is to labor among the sheep. The second responsibility he mentions here in this verse is to oversee the sheep or lead the sheep. He says, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. God's design is for godly shepherds to to be over the sheep or to lead the sheep, to watch over, watch out for the sheep. 1 Timothy 5.17 speaks of elders who rule well or lead well. Hebrews 13.7 and 17 speak of those who rule or lead in the church. This is God's pattern. But sadly, this has become so messed up in the vast majority of churches today. Most churches have a constitution and policies that place the sheep over the shepherds. But God's design is for godly shepherds to be over the sheep. Why? Is it so the shepherds can lord it over the sheep? Absolutely not. Peter even mentions that here in his text that we'll look at in just a moment. No. Shepherds are over the sheep because they are supposed to oversee the sheep. Watch out for the sheep and lead the sheep. In our text in 1 Peter 5, he says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you so serving as overseers. Or some translations render, taking the oversight. Shepherding involves watching out for the flock. This means watching out for their spiritual lives. It involves watching the decisions they make in life because our decisions impact our walk with God. It's amazing how quickly sheep can wander. Amazing. Within a matter of days, sheep can go from following the great shepherd to wandering away from the great shepherd. So shepherds, spiritual leaders, are to oversee the sheep and lead them as they walk through life and make decisions in life. That's why shepherds need to know their sheep and be in touch with their sheep and be involved with their sheep. In Acts twenty twenty eight, Paul told the shepherds of the church at Ephesus, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Shepherding involves watching out for the sheep and leading them in the right paths, just like the great shepherd leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, as stated in Psalm 23. You can see why shepherding is a demanding and sometimes overwhelming task. And you can see why God is so adamant about having more than just one shepherd per church. It can't be done solo. The responsibilities are too great. And there's even another specific one added here in verse 12. Look at it. It says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. And here's the final phrase. And admonish you. Or maybe your translation says, instruct you or warn you. The New American Standard translates this, give you instruction. But the word here is even more specific than that. It does mean to admonish or to warn. Shepherds. Spiritual leaders have the responsibility to lovingly warn the sheep when they are wandering or when they are making unwise decisions in life. Shepherds have the responsibility to lovingly warn the sheep when they are ignoring God's word or disobeying God's word. Shepherds have the responsibility to lovingly warn the sheep when they are heading in a direction in life that is dangerous for their spiritual well-being. In Acts 20, 31, Paul said, Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Think about that statement. Paul said that to the elders of the church at Ephesus when he met with them there in the book of Acts, chapter 20, to give them a charge, a a final charge before his departure. And he said, Remember Remember, men, that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and days with tears. Paul knew the importance of admonishing God's people, warning God's people. He says he did it night and day. I've often thought through the years when I've read through that passage that probably most churches wouldn't put up with that. Probably most churches wouldn't like Paul as their pastor. Most sheep don't want a shepherd who warns all the time. Because they say that's too negative of an atmosphere. But warning is an essential part of shepherding. Warning is an essential part of spiritual leadership. And it's no less the case today. In fact, you can maybe even make the case that it's more important in our day and age. There is probably more error, at least more avenues for error. With all that's available, the people, they can turn on the TV and, and drink in error. The radio, the internet, books, magazines, errant theology, error in representing God's word. So it's just as important, maybe more important than it's ever been. Warning is an essential part of shepherding. However, I think it would be accurate to say that this is an aspect of shepherding that most of us shepherds don't like. Because most sheep don't respond well or properly to this responsibility God has given us. But we still must do it. Rare is the sheep who responds well to admonishment. And that makes the job of under shepherds very difficult at times. Hebrews 13 refers to this. Let's stop there on our way back to 1 Peter 5. Turn back to our text. But before we get to 1 Peter, you have the book of Hebrews. And stop off in chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. As the writer of Hebrews winds down his letter, he gives an, an instruction, an admonition to the congregation to which he was writing, the people to whom he was writing. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. He says, Obey those who rule over you. Or again, depending on your translation, Obey those who lead you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. There are several important aspects of this verse that we need to notice. First of all, notice the triple emphasis of submission within this verse. It begins with the word obey. Obey those who lead you. That that would be strong enough in and of itself. Obey your leaders. The writer of Hebrews could have just said that and stopped. But notice how the leaders are referred to or how they are described in this verse. They are referred to as those who rule over you or depending on your translation, those who lead you. They are over you in the Lord. That's the same thought we saw in 1 Thessalonians 5.12. The shepherds are over the sheep, not in the sense of lording it over, but of watching over the sheep. The shepherds lead the sheep. That is God's design. So the writer of Hebrews says, Obey those who rule over you, or, or obey those who lead you. And then he adds the third phrase to emphasize the point, when he says, And be submissive. Now, beloved, when God goes to that much effort, To emphasize a point, then we'd better sit up and take notice to what he is saying. Three times in this one verse, God spells out the responsibility of the sheep to respond properly to their shepherds. Obey them, they are over you in the Lord. Be submissive. Why? Well, he tells us right here because it's for your benefit, it's for your good. The best way to sharpen the effectiveness of shepherds is to respond properly to them. Listen, beloved, you're not going to increase the effectiveness of your shepherds by complaining about them. You're not going to increase the effectiveness of your shepherds by nagging. When the sheep are insubordinate or not supportive, that only causes grief. That's what the writer says here. It causes grief to the heart of a true godly shepherd, and that results in an unprofitable ministry for the sheep. Shepherds are far more effective when they can carry out their responsibilities with joy, this verse says. As we saw earlier, the responsibilities in and of themselves are overwhelming. Who is sufficient for these things? No one. They're overwhelming. When you add to that burdens caused by negative, complaining, unsupportive, unresponsive sheep, you just about completely debilitate sensitive shepherds. And the writer of Hebrews understood that, and that's why he says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls, notice, as those who must give account Shepherds are going to give account someday to the Lord Jesus for how they shepherded his people. They will give an account. We, spiritual leaders, will give an account. And so the writer of Hebrews says, let them do it with joy. Let them do so with joy, not with grief. Don't grieve them. Don't injure them, for that would be unprofitable for you. Now back to our text in 1 Peter chapter 5. Past Hebrews is James and then 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter here in chapter 5 doesn't lay out all of those specifics of shepherding. But he does mention some other things. As I said earlier, he doesn't delineate the specifics of shepherding because it's obvious these shepherds, these spiritual leaders, knew what their responsibilities were. So rather than delineating their responsibilities, he tells them how to carry them out and how not to. He mentions three negatives or three ways spiritual leaders should not shepherd. The first one is in verse two, where he says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. The first one here is not by compulsion, but willingly. In other words, don't just do it because it's your job, don't just do it because it's your responsibility. Don't be lazy about it. Don't be indifferent. Don't be irresponsible. Don't see it as some kind of onus obligation. Onerous obligation. Carry out your shepherding because you know that is what God wants you to do. You're shepherding His people, so you do it willingly. The second caution Peter gives is not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. In other words, don't just serve because you're getting paid to do it or because you want to get paid to do it. Money should not be in any any sense your motivation. Your motivation should not be money, but an eagerness to serve the Lord and his people. And then Peter gives a third caution in the next verse. He says in verse 3, Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. This is a third temptation or third potential pitfall for spiritual leaders. It's the potential to become domineering. The potential to let your position go to your head. It's a sad fact that some men in spiritual leadership begin thinking that they are the authority on everything. Or they have authority in areas of life where they really don't have any authority. Some spiritual leaders use their position in a manipulative way to try to control other Christians. Some spiritual leaders use their position to intimidate other Christians. Some spiritual leaders fail to understand that their only authority really is what the Word of God says, and any other authority they exercise is self-taken authority. And that is unacceptable to our Lord. It's not right. It's not pleasing to our Lord. Instead of having that kind of personality, Peter says, instead of having that kind of demeanor, that kind of approach, true spiritual leadership is leading by example. That's what he says at the end of the verse. Not, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Spiritual leaders should be known, should not be known as authoritarian dictators but as examples of Christ-like humility. These three warnings that Peter gives here, these three cautions, beloved, understand, are not merely theoretical. What What I mean is, Peter had surely seen these kinds of things in the lives and ministries of other spiritual leaders. This happens. Sadly, this happens. If it didn't happen, Peter wouldn't need to write about it. He wouldn't need to warn. He wouldn't need to caution. It happens. He knew it happened in the lives of some men. Therefore, he didn't want these things in his own life and he didn't want these things in the lives of his fellow elders. These are very real potential pitfalls for spiritual leaders. So the Holy Spirit of God guided Peter in what he wrote here and the Holy Spirit preserved these words for all who would be spiritual leaders until Jesus returns. And that's why Peter closes This paragraph with verse 4, he says this, And when the chief shepherd appears, that's an important title that Peter gives to the Lord Jesus. It's a reminder to all elders, all spiritual leaders, you're not the chief shepherd. Jesus is. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The proper motivation for spiritual leadership is not compulsion. The proper motivation for spiritual leadership is not money. The proper motivation for spiritual leadership is not power. It is a desire to be pleasing to the chief shepherd. That's the true motivation, the right motivation. Pastors or elders are only under shepherds because the flock does not belong to us. This church is not my church. I, I wince every time I hear someone say that, and I understand what they mean, so I don't nitpick people, but I, I wince internally every time I hear someone say, well, you know, Brian, your church, I want to correct it. I don't always, but I want to say it's not my church. It's not my church. It's the Lord's church. He is the chief shepherd. And when he returns, Peter says, he is going to evaluate the ministries." of all of his under-shepherds. Jesus is not only going to evaluate the lives of all Christians at the Bema Seat of Christ, he is also going to evaluate the ministries of pastors and elders and spiritual leadership and spiritual leaders. Hebrews 13, 17 mentions this also, as we saw a moment ago. That's why James said in James 3.1, Brethren, don't be quick to be teachers, that is, spiritual leaders. We will receive a stricter judgment. There's a stricter judgment for spiritual leaders. And here Peter says, when the chief shepherd appears, you, elders, spiritual leaders, shepherds who have shepherded well, shepherded properly, will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Those Spiritual leaders who have shepherded well will be rewarded by the chief shepherd with a crown of glory. It's a sad fact that not all shepherds take their responsibilities seriously. Again, beloved, Peter's not writing something that was unnecessary. If all spiritual leaders were all that they ought to be, you don't need verses like this, you don't need passages like this in the Bible. But it's a sad fact that not all spiritual leaders take their responsibilities seriously. It's a sad fact that not all shepherds or spiritual leaders shepherd well or shepherd properly and and check their wrong attitudes, check their tendency to be domineering or whatever it is that Peter mentions here. It's a sad fact that some shepherds or spiritual leaders carry out their responsibilities under compulsion. Some do it for financial gain, and some do it in a heavy-handed kind of way. None of those are acceptable to our Lord. None of those are pleasing to our Lord. So Peter reminds us here in verse 4, The Lord Jesus will sort it all out at the judgment seat of Christ. And he will reward the under-shepherds who have shepherded properly, who have shepherded well, who have shepherded according to the Lord's instructions in his word about how to shepherd. So to say it another way, Come the judgment seat of Christ, come the bayment seat of Christ, it's not going to be the same for all shepherds and spiritual leaders. It's not going to be the same. Because not all have taken seriously what God has said in His Word about how to shepherd or how not to shepherd. And let me add a personal note in closing. I know I speak for all of our spiritual leaders here at our church when I say that so many of you. Really make it easy for those of us in spiritual leadership to do what we're supposed to do. You love the Lord. You love his word. You love his people. You love the lost. And let me tell you, it is easy to shepherd people like that. People who love Christ and love his word and love his people and love the lost. People like that are easy to shepherd. May your tribe increase. Let's bow together as we close. As I said at the beginning of this message, it's a unique passage and therefore a unique message in that it's not primarily directed at everyone present here this morning. The primary focus is for spiritual leaders, shepherds, elders. But certainly it shows us the Lord's heart for his people and what as I said earlier all of us ought to be doing in to some degree or another we're all to be encouragers to others and pray for others and pray with others that's not those aren't things reserved exclusively for spiritual leaders so hopefully as we've worked our way through these passages you've thought applicationally and thought Lord what is what do you want me to do about what I'm seeing in your word this morning What are applications for me? How how can I be better as a shepherd if you are a shepherd? Or how can I be better as a sheep? How can I be pleasing to you, the chief shepherd? Those are the kinds of thoughts we ought to think whenever we're exposed to God's word. Think of the implications for our own lives, applications for our own lives. Let me give you one very specific application. You've probably already thought of it, but in case you haven't, the job of shepherding is such that, as Paul said, who is sufficient? No, no no, man is sufficient for the task. So pray for your spiritual leaders. Pray for your shepherds. That means more than anything you could say or do, to pray for your spiritual leaders. The task to which the Lord has called us is an impossible task in a sense. Certainly impossible in our own strength. So pray for your shepherds that we would be all that God wants us to be, that we would shepherd well, we would shepherd properly, and pray that you would be the kind of sheep that is pleasing to the chief shepherd and to your under-shepherds in your love for Christ, your love for his word, your love for his people, your love for lost people. Father, that is our prayer individually. Thank you that you've spoken to our hearts this morning. If we've been open, listening, receptive, there's something in this for all of us, maybe different applications because of where we're at individually. Certainly not everyone here is a spiritual leader, uh, but all of us have responsibilities in the body of Christ to, uh, to carry out the one another's, to pray for one another, encourage one another, admonish one another. So may we learn from what we have seen this morning, how you want us to function as your family and how you want us to be as shepherds and sheep. And I pray especially for the spiritual leaders among us here, pastors, elders, deacons, any, any, who, any among us who occupy positions of spiritual leadership. May we take those responsibilities seriously and do what we do as unto you, knowing that ultimately it's to you that we will give an account not ultimately to people. So may we shepherd and lead with that perspective in our hearts and minds until Jesus comes, in whose name we pray, amen.